brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome to the show, everybody. Okay, we're going to talk about the topic of sexless marriage. And that includes relationships, long-term relationships. You know, a, a lot of people arrive at a sexless marriage for medical reasons or for uh, other reasons. They, they fight. They, they don't get along. But the bottom line is, is many of these marriages can be functional sexually. And many times people just simply form a thousand reasons not to have sex. And it's kind of strange because we're very sexual creatures, and to deny yourself one of those very primal needs is very sad. It it makes life very lonesome, and it makes us feel alone in some ways. And, you know, this is something that a marriage has really got to uh, communicate about. This can't be the the elephant in the room. They can't be the topic we avoid. It really needs to be understood that, you know, there are a lot of people that can stay together without the sex, and we'll talk about that later, but many of them don't have to. So now let's let's just kind of talk about what leads up to a sexless marriage. Well, you know, resentments, resentments, feeling unheard, feeling trapped, you know, anything that we resent of our partner, where we feel betrayed, where we feel like they've gone against our vows, gone against our trust, uh, really our opinion didn't matter. Once we look at ourselves as victims of the partner, then what we do is we form these resentments. And, you know, being a captor or a victim is not a sexy role for anybody, and nobody enjoys that. So, you know, you can take the sex out of a marriage very quickly if you feel betrayed or mistrusted or not trusted. You know, if you're being accused or, be, or, or uh, you're the accuser. Uh, there can be a whole lot of problems that take place in the bedroom. And uh, also, you know, what's not sexy is people that have decided that they don't want to be married, but they're going to stay in it for the kids. You know, that's not sexy either. That that destroys a sex life. Many people can have sex, but the intimacy part of it goes away. And it's very sad when people just stay in it for the kids. So what has to change is what attracts you to your partner. You know, we all evolve, we all age, we all get our bodies turned different. And if we don't take care of ourselves, it can be very unsexy and smelly and gross. So, you know, the deal is the the older we get or the more we don't take care of ourselves, the more unsexy we become. And if you become unsexy in a relationship, you have to take some responsibility for that. And you have to take care of yourself first and then hopefully you will feel more sexy and then you and your partner can have a a sex life but you know the deal is communication is intimacy and if you don't work on your communication don't expect yourself to have great sex you may have great sex because some people can just put it in a box and do that but that's sex that once again that's not necessarily intimacy now how do you get that energy back with each other you know that's that's a strange thing well you know getting that energy back is very simple everybody has an energy space around them and I'm not, I'm not trying to be a, a freak here but you know there is an energy that we all have and we know when we get into somebody's space because their eyes get kind of big and they feel alarmed all of us have our space but with couples 
the deal is if they have the same space that the regular people have out in the world with them, then then basically what they've done is they've turned their partner into a roommate. And what happens is if we don't enter that space very often, we don't include our communication doesn't improve because we don't feel safe with each other. And so the deal is, you know, I call it touch points where you, you just go in and out, you know, where you, you know, a touch on the back or a kiss on the cheek or a, a grabbing of the hand or a holding of the arm or, you know, whatever, just, just, Getting in the space and getting right back out, and it could take 20 seconds, 12 times in a day. You could do it 12 times in a day, 20 seconds. Those kind of things tell your partner that you're secure with each other, that tells each other that you care about each other, and that goes into your communication. Now, you know, let's look at what is a, an ongoing refusal to have sex with your spouse. Is it a, betra- is it a, a, a betrayal, a betrayal uh, similar to adultery? You know, does this persistent absence of sex within a marriage excuse or justify going outside of the marriage to get it? You know, there's several things that we need to clarify. You know, um, I, I, I sometimes use the term sexless marriage, but the discussion applies to any long-term relationship which partners expect exclusivity, and that means a monogamous relationship. You know, I, I'm aware that adultery is not always about sex, but it often occurs while there is still sex in a primary relationship. But I'm specifically talking about adultery motivated by sexual dissatisfaction in a person's relationship. You know, I, I'm also assuming that sexual dissatisfaction starts sometime into the relationship after an initial period with both partners were generally very satisfied with their sex life. And that's often called the honeymoon phase, which people start comparing their sexless marriage to their honeymoon phase. You know, if there were such a duty to have sex in a relationship, how would this relate to the duty of fidelity, you know, or do not cheat? You know, most wedding vows as a matter of fact, most understandings of committed relationships in general involve a promise of fidelity, usually understood to encompass sexual relations at the, at the very least, but often including any type of a tr- uh, external romantic entanglements. You know, partners are expected to abstain from sexual or romantic activity of any kind, and that includes emails, that includes text messaging, that includes emotional affairs outside of the relationship, you know, but this does not imply that they are entitled to it inside the relationship. You know, that's the problem. Um, It seems natural to say that if one partner promises not to seek something outside the relationship, then they uh, have a right to expect it within the relationship. But in ethics, you have to make an extent, you know, a distinction between duties of inaction and duties of action. We feel, you know, it's more comfortable saying that someone should abstain if doing something rather than saying they should do something. And and I know that's complicated, but what we have to look at is these statements. You know, people in relationships have sexual needs, and they have to figure out how to get those needs met, and that's the responsibility of a relationship. They're also restricted from satisfying those needs outside their relationship, And they're also, their partners have no obligation to satisfy these needs for them within the relationship. These have to be voluntary. That's why the relationship and the communication has to stay strong. You have to have each other's back. You have to feel a sense of coupleship. You have to feel a sense of love. And and that's when you don't have that. You both have to be willing to work on it. And that may include therapy. 
these, you know, these three statements are very inconsistent, and one of them has to break. You know, perhaps one we expect to break most often is uh, is the they are restricted from satisfying those needs outside the relationship. And I'm not suggesting that people have an affair, but what I am suggesting is that they have a very strong dialogue about the sexual needs and how those are going to be met, especially if one partner is saying, I don't feel like it, I'm not going to have it. Now, what is a sexless marriage? I would say if you, and this is just me, but I would say if you have sex with your partner less than 10 times a year, that's pretty much a sexless relationship. Um, also, you know, if uh, one partner voluntarily enters into a committed relationship knowing that the other partner has certain needs, needs that according to the terms of relationship cannot be satisfied elsewhere, doesn't this imply on some level of the obligation or responsibility of either of those people to satisfy those needs and allow them to be satisfied by someone else? That, that is the question. You know, people have to talk about that. You know, what are they supposed to do? If you've committed to a monogamous relationship, you may have to revisit your contract with each other. And that's, that's a scary business. But, you know, if people have needs which they are forbidden from satisfying outside the relationship, it is re- reasonable for them to expect those needs to be met within the relationship. But at the same time, we are uh, reluctant to tell people that they must do certain things in a relationship. Me as a therapist, even a generally accepted component of a committed adult relationships has sexual relationship. So what is, you know, does an absence of sex in a relationship justify adultery? Well, even for those who would answer yes, there are a few things to think about before coming to that conclusion. For one, there is the danger of implying that any gap in a sexual activity in the relationship justifies adultery, which may suggest to some that they can run off and cheat the first time their partner says not tonight. Furthermore, even if we're uh, to acknowledge an obligation to meet a partner's sexual needs, what amount of sex will suffice? Uh, you know, a specific frequency or number of times a week? A certain range of positions or activities, a certain level of enthusiasm or, or passion, will a partner claim that adultery was justified not because of insufficient amount of sex, but because of the quality of the sex? So, you know, you guys have to talk. You got to talk. You know, you know, maybe we should ask, what does it mean for a person to have his or her sexual needs satisfied? You know, y- you have to look at what your needs are sexually with each other. And you've got to communicate those needs to each other. You can't have a shy conversation with your partner when it comes down to sex. You know, especially if you begin repressing and repressing and repressing your sexual needs just to stay in it, let's say for the kids, or just stay in it because of a financial situation or stay in it because you're too depressed to do anything. You know, it really can cause enormous uh, personal image problems. And we're going to talk about this. Now, sexless marriage checklist. Here we go. Sex gives couples, you know, a way to have fun together. It increases their emotional connection. And if there's little or or even no sex in your marriage, here's some things that you might want to do to help. You know, when both partners feel disinterested in sharing their, their, their activities together, their sex together, a marriage may survive, you know, just fine. You know, there's a lot, if there's lots of like appreciation, good times. Uh, affection, like smiles, hugs, fond words, eye contact, they, you know, that can bridge the gap by a minimal uh, amount of uh, physical intercourse. And that often happens, especially as people get much older. But getting sexless marriage help becomes really important 
when spouses show different levels of interest in sex. So when you've got a disparity in sex, that means that somebody else, a professional, should be there to barter your agreement and what is needed. You know, distress, resentment, a sense of betrayal or depression totally corrode a couple's affection and their marriage becomes a risk uh, of survival. And who are the victims? The children, of course. And how did they get here? You had sex. All right. Now, first step is getting uh, uh, getting sexless marriage help is to understand the factors that contribute to it. Now, here's one of the big factors, informational uh, inhibitions, negative messages received about sex as a youth, a lack of clarity about how to initiate sex, a lack of knowledge about you know mild practical difficulties regarding sustaining erections, stimulating, increasing lubrication, compensating for age-related sexual you know uh, uh, erection problems or sexual drive problems, an underestimation uh, of the importance of sexual activity in a relationship, and also the mistaken belief that arousal should uh, precede sexual activity. In fact, arousal is often a response to sexual activity rather than a precursor. So, you know, sometimes it's a matter of thinking too much. A lot of people will get a lot of anxiety. Well, will I be able to get it up or will I ever be able to be turned on? By, by doing that, what you're basically doing is talking yourself out of sex and creating a, a embarrassing situation for yourself. Also, uh, physical inhibitions, which is uh, pain syndromes, prostate difficulties, back pain, uh, physical, chronic physical discomforts like headaches, stomach difficulties, excess work demands, leaving no time for sex, or fragile or... Uh, 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 you know, uh, vaginal tissues at low levels of estrogen, heart attack, post-event, uh, fears especially, and fatigue from too much work and not enough rest. Also, emotional inhibitions. These inhibitions is about being uh, sexual, stemming from early trauma or abuse. There's a lot of people that have had early sexual trauma and they carry it into their marriage. This is something you need to work through. Also, withholding of sex because of negative interactions or retribution or power issues. This is the biggest contributor to people not having sex is they use sex as a mean to hurt their partner or get their partner's attention. Also, fears of potential rejection. Concerns about gender identity or homosexual impulses are also a big factor. We have a very uh, uh, bisexual culture these days. We are not nearly as defined sexually as we once were uh, in, in younger days, especially I'm in my 50s, so especially back then, it was a little bit different. Yes, they, people were doing that kind of stuff, but it wasn't as out there as it is and available. So people are self-actualizing sexually at these days. And uh, also body image disturbances, like uh, you know, feeling unattractive, like gaining a lot of weight. Uh, people often lose their sexual urges at that point. You know, attraction difficulties towards a spouse. If a spouse has not taken care of themselves, or if you start to see certain things that they do that don't make you uh, excited about them, then basically you start to ruminate on those negative things, and it kills the sex life, and it kills your attraction. Also. Uh, Alternative outlets can kill sex, like pornography. I mean, how can your partner ever match up to the pornography? I mean, how can they compete with that? That You know, that's all just images. Also, uh, masturbation. This is huge. This is one of the major reasons why people don't have sex is they're jacking off too much. And, um, you know, that's, that's a problem. You know, they're, they're jacking off and they're masturbating so much that they have no sex drive. 
And, you know, you just can't do that and expect yourself to have a healthy sex life. Also, affairs. Affairs are huge. You know, if you're having an affair, you're focusing on someone else and not your partner. And so that will kill sex life immediately. Uh, sportsaholics are also too tired to have sex. Workaholics are also too tired to have, have sex. And alcoholics are often too tired to out, have sex. So, you know, these are things that we need to break down and really look at. And we'll get constructive here in a few minutes. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back to talk about sexless marriage. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Encouraged and connected on our lively, award-winning Healthy Living Power Hour. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at svcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right. Uh, We're talking about sexless uh, relationships, sexless marriage. You know, there's three phases oftentimes in a sexless sexless relationship. Usually they experience these phases. You know, the first phase is when one realizes that they're in a sexless relationship and they they start to panic. They want to fix it. They talk about it to their their partner and they want to know why it happens. And they both agree in getting help and uh, finding it uh, ways to rekindle. Sometimes uh, they poop out, they don't follow through, they don't get good help, 
and they move into the second phase where nothing changes. And there are many more years of sexless living, and one partner is completely fine with it, while the other is torn to pieces. And now this phase lasts the longest. It goes on and goes until the frustrated partner can no longer put up or realizes life is too short to be made miserable by someone. And then the third phase is the frustrated mate partner uh, decides to find a, a sex partner or starts building a wall to protect their vulnerability and then retaliates and starts living as a roommate or a brother or a sister family style. And also they uh, may, uh, the frustrated partner may uh, become weak. They may start uh, being anything and everything just to have some intimacy. And then they become a sex slave, but giving, but not getting back. And so whichever outcome a sexless relationship falls into, the bottom line is that the frustrated partner eventually wakes up or decides life is too short to be made miserable by another person. And the same path applies to all third phase choices, which is the decision to bury the relationship and move on or to stay. Now, a sexless relationship is abusive. It's like a slow death. It isn't obvious, yet a person is trapped in the marriage and, and children. And for many people, sex is considered a, a, a want, not a need. Well, it's a need, folks. A sexist relationship is demeaning to the woman and the man. And it makes them both feel like they're begging for attention. And it's belittling. And it's also mentally depressing. So number one, communication, and I keep going back to that. So during the dating phase, couples really ask each other a lot of questions as a means to connect intimately and know each other on a deeper level. And then post-marriage couples stop connecting in this way. And it's very easy to get busy with our day-to-day -day lives and start taking each other for granted and start balancing our jobs and managing a household, managing our finances, being parents, you know, finding time for ourselves, incorporating time for family and friends, managing children's schedules. You know, couples pack a lot into their days, and when the evening draws near, they have little to no energy for each other. They have no time for connecting at a deeper level and instead communicate at a surface level throughout the day, thinking that that's enough to feed the marriage. You know, complete, uh, communicating openly and honestly about everything up to and including sex is critical to longevity in marriage. Making uh, time to communicate and connect is critical. 30 minutes daily of focused and a, a tentative time is the minimum amount a couple should decide to have for each other. You know, it's clear that couples already have the skills to communicate and connect because they exhibit those skills during the courting and the dating phase of their relationship. That's why they feel so betrayed by their partner. And you can restore these skills fairly quickly. You just have to let your pride down. You know, marriage is the humblest place in the world. Long-term relationships, humblest place in the world. We see the best of each other and we see the worst of each other. So addressing, you know, like libido issues. You know, he wants sex and I don't. It's a common complaint heard by the wives. You know, the blame is usually placed on uh, differences in libido. And I'm talking about libido for both men and women. And in many cases, it's not libido that's the issue. It's a lack of energy. It's the inability to talk about sexual needs. It's the inability to discuss and arrive at an acceptable and agreeable solution and not placing importance on se sexual connection and not making time to commit to connect sexually are the more likely problems. Of course, 
you know, there's situations where libidos are a serious concern. There's plenty of help to address libido condition. You know, couples must be willing to seek outside help or medical help to take action together to find solutions through medical, therapeutic, and hormonal specialists. But also, guys, you know, the big deal is you got to take care of your body. You know, if you expect to have a good sex life, you know, your body is reflective of your marriage. You know, if you're too lazy to take care of yourself, then what you're doing is you're reflecting on your marriage by the way you're not taking care of yourself. You know, your partner suffers from your inability to take care of yourself because they can't have sex with you because you've created a condition that is so serious that they can't even have sex with you. And that has to be on the table. You know, it has to be. you got to take care of yourself. And that starts with the person that doesn't. Okay, now also making time. You know, couples who commit to writing down all they do in 24 hours for a month quickly see how they're contributing to the erosion of health in their marriage. They see that little to no time is dedicated to the marriage and each other and sex. And it's critical that, you know, couples schedule intimacy and schedule connection time in their busy weeks. And I know that sounds cut and dry. I know that sounds boring. But if you have a busy life, you owe it to yourself and your partner to cut out time for intimacy. And intimacy does not always have to be intercourse. It can be all kinds of touching, kissing, feeling, hugging, holding. It could be all kinds of things. And when we talk about sex, that is the big thing we're talking about is intimacy, not sex, not in, you know, doing it, but actually being together and enjoying a sexual experience. You know, if, if a lack of sex is a sole issue in your marriage, then ending your marriage is not the ultimate solutions. You know, uh, couples tend to hyper-focus on the 20% deficiency in their relationship instead of the 80% of the good. And once you hyper-focus on that 20%, uh, you become more and more a part of the problem. You got to strip that back. You got to start looking at the good in your partner because we all have flaws. And and if you change your image of your partner, your partner may change the image of themselves. Now, how is rejection for men? You, you know, you're at home, you're feeling relaxed, you've had a great day, you're in the mood to have sex, you turn on some music, pour a couple glasses of wine. Your partner comes home and you think, let's get it on. You give your partner a kiss, you suggest going to the best bed, bedroom, but they pull away. And you quickly notice your partner is cranky because they've had a long day and are exhausted. So they say, you know, thanks for the drink. Oh, and by the way, um, I'm far too tired to even think about having sex. So most, you know, most women uh, that that you speak to would uh, describe feeling a bit and sometimes very hurt if they were the sexual initiator in that scenario. And in contrast, we think we need we tend to think that sexual rejection doesn't hurt as much for men as it is based on uh, for women. But uh, the first is related to you know masculinity. You've got to think about this, which proposes that men should desire sex for physical and surface level reasons rather than for emotional connections. So if men initiate sex and their efforts are rejection. It, it can't hurt that much because they've only missed out on the physical act of sex and getting off. The second assumption, and by that way, that's wrong assumption. The second assumption related to sexual uh, script, basically, is that the uh, in heterosexual relationships, men should initiate sexual activity and women should act as the gatekeeper. 
And uh, if men initiate sexual activity more often, it follows that they also tend to experience more rejection. And this leads us to conclude that rejection can't hurt that much because men must expect it. But, you know, that isn't cool. You know, what we're looking at is most men uh, describe occasional rejection that could be chalked up to bad timing. And, and that's nice. But, for example, if you're in the mood but your partner has a legitimate headache, is sick, or they're in a bad mood, that's going to happen in every relationship. The idea that we feel sexual interest at the exact time, our partner, every time over multiple years is, is nice, but it's really not realistic. You know, there's going to be plenty of times where either partner says, not tonight. But regular rejection is what we're talking about. And, and it, it wears people down over time, and it makes them question themselves and their relationship and question how they look. And ultimately, it has a very negative impact on self-esteem. You know, men, uh, their uh, sexual advances being rejected over and over again actually this decreases their own level of interest, and uh, especially if they have a fear of rejection. You know, um, also... Researchers have concluded that on days when men are particularly motivated to avoid rejection, they were more likely to under-perceive their partner's interest in sex, which means, in other words, when men report feeling that they were more averse to the possibility of experienced rejection, which would be uh, for whatever reason, like feeling insecure, having a bad day, uh, receiving poor feedback from their boss, they missed sexual cues from their partner, and they did not initiate. They don't do not initiate sex, and they're very le- more uh, likely to uh, not be thinking about sex. And so we have to think, you know, how a man responds. Well, rejection hurts more deeply than uh, most people realize in men. Uh, rejection is a big thing. And once again, it really needs to be something that is addressed, especially if it is consistent. Women also need to know that many of those uh, searching for answers are women struggling to understand why their spouses aren't reciprocating their desire for sex. And so, you know, many women are the ones with a higher sex drive in their marriages, but women commonly don't discuss the dynamic openly with their friends. Also, media portrayal of relationships makes women think that males have a constant high level of desire. And on the contrary, many women struggle in sexless marriages. And outside of uh, therapy, I'd say that finding a support system can be very invaluable. There are forums online where women share their experiences. Um, I think there's like, in, in a read it, there's like a dead... Uh, I think it's called Dead Bedroom Forum. You know, it, it, it may not be you, uh, you know, so stop beating yourself up. It's no indicator of how sexy you are as a woman if he's initiating or not. Many times men stop initiating sex because they're stressed or because they're experiencing some kind of erectile dysfunction and they're too afraid to tell you. You know, men define their sexuality by their ability to perform and they cannot achieve an erection upon demand. And so they may withdraw, withdraw. So men, you know, if they feel like they have to, they sometimes don't initiate because they're afraid they can't get the erection and that hurts their pride. So, you know, that's why, uh, you know, having uh, foreplay is a very important role in getting uh, things back up sexually into where you guys are wanting to be together. And foreplay can be kissing, hugging, holding Whatever, but it often gets that libido and gets the mind working in a position where they're ready to have sex. But when you live in a stressed out life, you go to work, you deal with kids, you do all this financial crap, 
to get in the moment is very hard. And that's why foreplay is so important in a relationship on a continuous basis. And it, it constantly keeps our mind in the sense of being sexual. If your spouse is not willing to see, you know, a, a, a therapist alone or with you, it, it's very telling. You know, I recommend going to a professional in almost all cases, if, especially a specialist in sex, if either partner is still emotionally uh, committed to their sexless marriage. If your partner really doesn't give a damn about you or the marriage or the two of you just existing, you're really in need to think about what the rest of your life is going to look like. You know, the good news is that for most otherwise healthy, emotional, intimate couples who are both willing to put in the work, it's relatively easy to spark a new fire. And to start, a little romance never hurts. And yes, I'm talking about toys. I'm talking about new positions, new places, unexpected romance within your relationship. So be intimate. Share quiet moments where you simply look at each other. Hold hands. Talk about your feelings. You don't have to go crazy. You know, nothing, not even sex is more intimate than having a compassionate partner who has your back. You know, and as for sex itself, try mixing it up. Tell your spouse about your secret fantasy. Ask if they're willing to try it. If they're, and, and you know what? If they're not taking care of themselves, get out there with them and try to get them motivated. You know, take walks together. That's a great time to talk. And also, you're getting yourself in better shape. Now, rejection for women, you know, what am I uh, not good enough for you is oftentimes a question. And, uh, you know, you many times the fact is if they're not initiating, if they're not uh, helping, if they're not contributing, then uh, maybe you're not. And maybe you need to bring that up. You know, a lot of women will ask, uh, are you gay or something? Wow. You know, uh, it, it's, it's amazing, but that will turn a guy off really fast. If you're going to accuse them, you know, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, oftentimes girls will say, you know, I, I'm just a normal person looking for someone who treats me like a lady. And uh, well, yes, that puts a guy in a very interesting position. But women, it's important for you to talk about that and how you feel and how you see yourself by the way that they behave. And if they don't initiate and show empathy or compassion for you, that should tell you something. And you need to either find out if they want to work on this relationship or not. You know, uh, uh, they also, many women will think, am I uh, too low class? Am I just temperamental? Am I too sensitive? You know, am I, am, you know are you a real man? They'll bring that up. And boy, you can, you can knock a guy's sexual desire down really quick with statements like that. Um, you know, so the big deal is also many people get bit bored in their sex life, in marriage, or in long-term relationships. You know, it's over time, couples inevitably find they slip in and out of lust into a more steady state in which their their uh, friendship matters more than their sex. And uh, also their passion. Uh, in the process of relationships, initial highs and lows may smooth out into a more evenly distributed, predictable pattern. And that pattern is a sex killer. You know, they may experience occasional flare-ups of anger that are only moderately disrupted by their otherwise solid feelings towards each other because they're sexually frustrated. You know, we are, outside of our prefrontal cortex, we are animals. And to deny that part of us is ridiculous. It's just 
it's absurd. You're, you're delusional. You know, boredom can become problematic in a relationship when the steady state turns from comfort to stagnation. And so we have to think about, are we in stagnation? You know, if we are, we need to talk about this and figure out how to get this together. Also, a state of atrophy associated with the ending of relationships is also called uh, an empty shell, you know, where the relationship is no longer growing. Also, a negative emotional state that is over a long period of time with lack of excitement or stimulation is basically a huge challenge on a relationship. And so, you know, when you decide what uh, you mean by bored in your relationship, you really need to understand that that is a call for getting things done. That means you're in a very stagnant state. And you need to talk about your partner, about his or her definition of, of uh, relational boredom. You know, is your partner perfectly content with the routine that you've fallen into or what? You know, and you want to make a plan to adjust your relationship to take into account what's seeking, uh, what would be not boring. Also, work on your perceptions of each other because those perceptions are your personal truths. And you also have to be willing to hear a perception that you don't like and not be defensive about it. Counseling, counseling, counseling. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about uh, emotional closeness and we're going to talk about cures. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. The Compassionate Life is about just that. There are so many human beings who have made a name for themselves by being humanitarians. They have become individuals who are known for being selfless, kind, and compassionate. Host Dr. Brittany King is also one of these humanitarians. Each week she shares stories of kindness that she has experienced throughout the world, both as a contributor and recipient of these acts of love and kindness. Listen every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but... If you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back 
everybody. All right, we're talking about sexless relationships, sexless marriage. You know, if talking about sex with your partner sounds overwhelming or if both of you are trying and it doesn't go well, even before getting uh, sexless marriage help, you need to get some learning skills about how to communicate with each other. You know, a marriage uh, communication uh, program like uh, the, the, the power of uh, two online can make a huge difference. Also, it's it's very inexpensive. It's convenient. It's fun. It can give you skills you need to be able to uh, talk together about your relationship. But you have to be serious about it. You know, the another thing is uh, in overcoming a sexless marriage is brainstorming together about options to resolve it. So you know, as I said before, you know, strengthening your communication skills with uh, a, a marriage education program like the Power of Two Online will be very critical. You know, you'll need to be confident that you have skills to keep your discussions creative, win-win, instead of critical and argumentative and blaming. You know, blame, blame, blame is not sexy. You know, once you've identified your issues in a sexless relationship, make a checklist that are most relevant to you and, and, uh, and then maybe check out some marriage help books or some websites or go to therapy and, or uh, some kind of program and speak about it and define what those underlying problems that you've identified with each other and seriously be ready to make change. Because if you're not ready to change, if either of you are not ready to change, there's very little that can be accomplished. Also, you know, uh, you know, look at the physical inhibitions also. Consult with your doctor. That may make a big difference. And both of you go to the doctor and hear what the doctor has to say. Don't just go, one go and the other not, because this is a problem for both of you. And you both deserve to get a straight answer. And also, if you can find a therapist you can trust, you know, that is so important. And this could be a, a psychologist, a counselor, a social worker with experience that work with people that have these kinds of issues. And, and at, you know, the, the other thing is uh, working with a, uh, someone regarding uh, the potential of betrayal and the fear of betrayal is also very critical because some people are afraid since they're not having sex – that person must be doing somebody else. And if that's the case, those accusations can also hurt each other, especially if it's not happening. You know, it, it, it's, it is not always an affair that causes a sexless relationship. And I'm not saying it, it, it doesn't happen because it sure does. It happens to a majority of relationships that have a sexless. But the deal is, is that you really have to take those issues seriously. And the more that both of you take it seriously, the less threatened you feel and the less trust issues you have. Now, let's look at marriage and, and long-term committed monogamous relationships. All conflict in any relationship is based on trust or mistrust. All relationships, the binding of a relationship is about trust. If you want to correct your relationship and make it healthy and happy, you have to work on trust. If you can't work on trust, you won't grow your love together. The, you guys will find reasons to pull apart in many ways, and that's when the relationship starts to erode. So trust and having no secrets and being able to take on problems in an adult way makes a relationship so much healthier. Also, emotional closeness in a sexless relationship. You know, we, we, we've come to assume that long-term intimate relationships involves physical as well as emotional closeness. However, 
you know, couples often decide for a variety of reasons that sex is not a key feature of their particular relationship. And over time, some even evolve through a set of phases uh, from passionate to compassionate marriage. And for other uh, long-term relationships, the ties that bind are intrinsic, are, are like uh, physical expressions of affection, like hugging. Um, what determines which couples choose the sexless route, which remains sexually active into their later years. Now, some people actually choose a sexless marriage or a relationship. But the cost and benefits of relay, uh, remaining in a long-term relationship, you really have to look at the uh, involuntary celibacy. If people, if one or the other is not, not uh, signing up for the idea of being in a sexless relationship, then they really have to begin to develop agreements and contracts. And they have to discuss needs, not wants. Sex is a need, it's not a want. And so it's important for you to understand that it is serious if you cannot touch on that subject. You know, um, women who would otherwise prefer a relationship involving sex stay in one that does not because they regard the cost of being on their own as higher than the possible rewards of being on their own and free to have sex with someone else. So traditionally, uh, particularly as they get older, women have fewer options to have sexual partners than men do because the older woman is seen as less sexually desirable uh, than her same age male counterpart. Also, women also uh, traditionally may be more dependent on their husbands for financial support and though this is changing, or at least uh, they may feel that they couldn't raise their children alone. And that's feeling trapped in your relationship. Well, guys, you can change your life at any time. Ladies, you can change your life at any time. You have to make choices. But once again, the best choice is to work on it with your partner and find something about them that is attractive to you and build on that. You know, also if a body image, if your partner's body image has changed, which as people get older they do, we have to focus on different things that attract us. And so it's so important to go back in and keep reviewing what is sexy about your partner. And um, also when you when you think about it, uh, the investments that couple make in relationships in terms of time and effort they put into their marriage, the more they invest, and I'm also talking about homosexual relationships too, folks. You know, the, the more people invest in their marriage, the greater the likelihood they'll stay in it. In terms of sexuality, social prescriptions may also play a role. And these, these social norms that are committed couples remaining sexually exclusive backed up by legal norms that make it difficult for couples to end their relationship when it becomes less satisfying. Th that can be a, an issue. Just being afraid of what the end is going to look like, uh, many people do not confront the sexual uh, message because they don't feel that they are able to work on that. They don't feel that they'll be able to survive outside the relationship without their partner supporting them. Well, you know, guys, that's why you want to have discussions about your marriage. These discussions are not being critical about each other. This is a discussion about your relationship. It's not about one or the other. It's about what we need in our relationship, what I need and what you need. And both of you have to have those needs to be met. You know, uh, with this idea, you know, Let's examine why couples choose celibacy in their committed relationships. Passage of time is number one. The longer a relationship endures, the greater chances that the couple's sexual fires will diminish. And many older people do remain sexually active. And for aging women, the issue may not be only uh, one of time, 
changing the nature of the relationship, but the fact that their partners are no longer alive or in poor health. Also, uh, stressors in a relationship, even relatively young couples can become voluntarily celibate if they're facing enough outside pressure. You know, late in women's pregnancy, the couple may decide to cease having sex, and even after the baby is born, uh, she or her partner may simply not have the energy to engage in sexual activity. And so eventually, most couples do become sexually active again after six months, but they may return to uh, their uh, compelling demands and their emotional energy, and they may fall back on that and just stay in that pattern. I cannot tell you how many people, after they have children, they decide they don't decide, they just start to pull themselves apart because they spend all their time with their kids or they have the baby in the bed. Also, illness uh, in one or both partners. You know, the development of uh, chronic physical or mental illness isn't necessarily a deal breaker when it comes to sex, but it may have a very significant uh, interference with one or the other partner's libido. So it may be fairly obvious how physical illness can become a limiting factor. But uh, people with uh, psychological disorders may lose sexual interest as a result of medication or self-doubts associated with the stigma. And also declines in sexual activity can also contribute to mental health problems, particularly if one or both partners feel that they are less attractive and desirable than they once were. And that's a thing called anxiety and depression. A lot of people fall into that with this kind of a conflict and that also makes them feel less sexual and more hopeless about their sex life. Also, uh, guilt or conflict. Certainly, many people with strong religious convictions continue to enjoy a satisfying sex life, particularly if their religion places high value on that. However, a lifetime of being exposed to religious teachings that pl place prescriptions on oral sex and masturbation may leak over and hamper the expression of sexual activity within a marriage. Also, uh, the just the, the idea of religion, the idea of being monogamous, the idea of the religion may actually trap people into their relationship. And that means they need to have a non-religious discussion about their sexual needs in a relationship and how to reach those goals. You know, uh, what happens when couples find themselves having slipped for any of these reasons into celibacy? Is their relationship doomed? Well, no, it's not doomed. You know, they have to go back into a, a, a social exchange. They have to go back into communication. If they see their own celibacy is not mm -hmm. that different from that of the others in their own normal, uh, normative, basic uh, process in their life, then they need to be willing to talk to each other about, you know, where they're at sexually and what they need. And they need to take the temperature with each other. Now, you, we, we do not want to recommend, and I, I certainly do not want to sign up for the idea that people should force sex on their partner. This is a negotiation, folks. This is not rape. You know, uh, they need to discuss their, their, uh, the negative consequences that they're ex having by not having a sex life. Also, you know... It, it, couples do decide to remain in the relationship rather than leave on, on a massive scale when they decide to change, when they decide to form communication. You know, a, a sifting through uh, many studies, it appears that one of the key factors in perceiving the rewards of being together for your partner outweigh the cost of leaving. You know, love, shared values, mutual goals, values, experiences are glue that keep a sexless marriage going. Well, build on that. Build on that. Have all that and have a sex life. 
You know, knowing that you're not alone may be the greatest solace in coping with a, se- a sexless relationship. So go to go to a forum online where you can get some help and talk to other people and see what they can do and see what they do or get help from a therapist. Also, here's some cures. You know, a sexless marriage is very vulnerable. It promotes the flow. You know, sex it, it creates oxytocin, and that chemical promotes the feelings of bonding. And also, sex is also a, a free way of having fun together. And lastly, when sex is a special activity that married couples share only with each other, that sexual sharing enhances the importance of keeping the relationship and the partnership loving and strong. So what can couple, uh, even just one uh, a partner, do when sex has disappeared from the repertoire of their activities? Uh, a good place to start is by checking out what is causing it. Well, one of the big ones is no private time together. You know, spouses prioritize other activities over sharing sexual time. There may be trouble ahead, but sometimes there is a chance as when couples have jobs with opposite hours. Most often, however, setting up a schedule where there's no time for sex as a matter of priorities, think again. You know, your life is not dictated by anybody but you. You can do it. When you want something bad enough, you will make it happen. Make it happen. Also, no privacy. You know, create privacy. Go to a hotel. Do something. But you need to create some privacy for yourselves to have sex. Also, uh, no motivation. You know, some folks have minimal uh, sex drive and others don't experience sexual pleasure during intercourse. But irritability, judgmental uh, voice tones, criticism, blame for other hostile ways of interacting, which people do when they don't have sex, um, can uh, really create uh, a squelch of partner's interest. So even if the receiver of this negative energy is not intending to respond with resentment, regend, you know, revenge, tit for tat, you know, you've got to start respecting each other and respecting is listening and that means you're willing to hear the negative perception of your partner and validate it. Doesn't mean you agree, but validate. By doing that, you begin to connect and stop fighting. Age is another problem, and it's among the easier causes of a sexless marriage. Um, but the, you know, the key factor is to find a method and a scheduling re- regular sexual times together. You know, there's even medication that can help people on this. There's also taking testosterone or t- testosterone supplements can help people. You know, and also taking responsibility for initiating sexual interactions. Even if you're fear of rejection, that is going to overcome the sexless relationship. Also, there's also biological and, and psychological inhibitors. Well, if you're having a tough time sexually and your medication is causing that, then maybe you need to have a gap in that, rela- in that time and consult with your doctor where you can uh, be able to rebuild your sex drive. Also, there's also options. You know, what can you do if, if these factors are in your situation? Well, number one is to begin by talking about the situation. Number two is to decide that sex is important and this, therefore, or intimacy is important. So you figure it out and figure out how to have it with each other. And there's also uh, an associated of uh, uh, associations of therapy, sex therapy. Go online and find out who does that. And more importantly, if, if you're troubled by sexless marriage, address the problem squarely. Wait and see is unlikely to prove to be a strategy that will change. You know, you have to take responsibility for that. All right, that's our show. Our next show is contour, cartoon characters and mental illness that they distribute. <laughs> I want to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. Get 
your feedback, drgbmft at sbcglobal.net or Twitter at drgbmft. Now, remember, every girl's dream is to have a guy call her at 1 a.m. and say, I'm outside your window with ice cream and cookies. Also, it's never a bad idea to tell someone when they're about to exceed the limitations of your medication. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. We'll be right back.